Welcome back to Talks on the Catholic Catechism. I am your instructor, David O'Gray, Master of Arts in Theology. And we begin in nomine pacis et filio et spiritu sancti. Amen. In this talk, we will begin looking at chapter 3 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church called God Comes to Meet Man. Beginning with paragraph 50 all the way through 141. There is a lot to unpack in this chapter, and we will touch on some of the elements in the previous talk. So this talk, I will be focusing in on the big concepts in these paragraphs. The first is the meaning of revelation. The second is the purpose of revelation. Third is the Catholic understanding of the sources of God's revelation. And fourth is how the liturgy of the Holy Mass presents the fullness of God's revelation. In the previous chapter, we discuss how and why God has given man the capacity to desire him, to approach him, to know him, and to speak about him. Therefore, being that man was given capacity to know, love, and serve God, that male and female were created for God and by God. In this chapter, we will transition to speak about the ways by which God comes to meet his creatures on their journey towards their creator. Because the nature of God is love, as 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 states, it is important that we affirm that the principal character of love is self-disclosure, meaning that love can never keep itself secret. Even the secret admirer is always revealing his love to his object of love. Even if he doesn't disclose his name, he discloses how he feels. The first thing we should know about love is that love is always revealing itself to his object of love. And this is why God is always revealing himself to his creation because he loves what, his, what he created and his nature's love. Beyond this natural necessity of divine love, there are six other reasons why God reveals himself. The first of these five reasons are drawn from John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. And the sixth is drawn from the 15th chapter of John. These are the six reasons why God reveals himself to us. First, so that we might know him. Second, so that we might follow him. Third, so that we might become his disciples. Fourth, so that we might know the truth. Fifth, so that we might be free. And sixth, so that we might not ever depart from him. Paragraphs 54 through 64 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church are a beautiful reminder of the nature of divine love and how patient and kind it is. And it reminds us how, of how God is like a love-struck boy who's just tripping over himself to show the girl how much he loves her, but not in the overwhelming or forceful way or in any way that we would associate with being disordered affection, but oftentimes silent, sometimes vocal, but always evident and present. 
beginning with our first parents, and then after the fall, and then with the covenants God made with his divine promises that he made to Noah and Abraham and to the people of Israel after he brought them out of Egypt and with David, promising to restore his people and bring them into the inheritance for them. He offered for them. He promised for them that he always desired for them, which is true communion and true relationship with him. Do you remember a time when you did not know your parents' first names? Think about this. There was a time when you only knew your mother's mom and your father's dad or your grandparents by grandma or grandpa. But even without knowing their names, you knew that they loved you and that they were driven to protect you. Or at least I hope that was your experience as it ought to have been. That is what God is revealing. His love for his people in the Old Testament reminds me of a parent raising their child, giving them commands. Do not do this. Do not do that. Showing their child that they can trust them to be there for them and to protect them and to discipline them or let them suffer the consequences of their autonomous actions but all the while leading and guiding them into deeper relationship. Envision God doing all of that. And we did not even have a personal name to call him by. The best thing that we had was what God told Moses when Moses asked him at the burning bush, who should I tell them sent me? And it seems as if God chuckles at the notion in his response. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. But in asking God for a name, what Moses was attempting to do was build a deeper relationship with this God who appeared to him and was sending him on a mission that could get him killed. And he needed a name for this God, because in Egypt, there were many gods and the Israelites were going to ask him, OK, Moses, which God sent you? And later on, God would give Moses some more some more information about him. He basically cite his curriculum vitae, saying, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty. But my name. The Lord. I did not make known to them. And in fact, we do not get to merit a personal name for God until the fullness of time had come. And we were ready for a full disclosure of who God is and how much he loves us. True relationships always begin when we know each other's name. Because at that point, we have surrendered power to each other because we can call each other by our names. Once you know my name, the next time you see me, you'll be able to get my attention. You'll see me, you, you'll wave and say, hey, David, and I'll respond right, with your name. Strangers do not have that power. 
the only thing strangers can say is, hey, you. Or maybe they'll describe something. They say, hey, you with the jacket or hey, you with the tie on. And hearing that, uh, I could either ignore you or I could decide to respond. That's my choice. But if you call me by my name, that's power. I have to attend to you. Think of Marius and Victor Hugo's Les Mis, their version of courting one's object of attention. Perhaps Marius was stalking a girl, even excessively. But one can also make the counter case that Cosette loved his attention more than he enjoyed showing it. Yet, even after he finally entered the garden, where they talked for an hour about everything, did not their relationship truly begin only after he asked her the question? The text in the book says, When Marius had finished, when they had told each other everything, she laid her head on his shoulders and asked, What is your name? My name is Marius, he said. And yours? My name is Cosette. Now their relationship began with the exchange of personal names after an hour of getting to know each other. Perhaps then they realized, this might work. Let's give each other power. Like Marius and Cosette, who had told each other everything. In Christ Jesus, the Father had not only given us himself, he had said everything to us through him. Paragraph 65 of the Catechism says, In him, he has said everything. There will be no other word than this one, meaning that after the death of Christ on the cross, we had received everything we needed to know about God for our salvation. There would be, there may be so-called private revelations, some of which the church has recognized as being authentic, but these private revelations are private, not obligatory for the faithful to accept, and neither do they, they, they belong to the body of public revelation, which the church calls the deposit of faith. There will be no new public revelation, and there cannot be any revelation that surpasses or corrects the public revelation, and therefore, public revelation is complete until the return of Christ Jesus at the end of time. And in paragraph 66, the Catechism states, It remains for the Christian faith gradually to grasp the fullness over the course of centuries. So how is it that the faithful are called to grasp the fullness, um, the full significance of our eternal Father's revelation through Christ Jesus? What is important to distinguish here is that in, as much as the deposit of faith is closed and there will be no new revelation, that revelation is not dead in a sense, meaning that the word of God is living and active. It breathes. God's word is not like the words that you and I speak. If I were to speak a word, uh, that word might have power. For example, I could call my daughter to come here and she'll come. But the power of my word does not compel her 
to keep coming. On the contrary, think of the word of God as a word that never stops. A word that keeps going and going throughout all the time. A word that we cannot ever stop hearing. God's word is effectual. It is always active, always moving, always creative. And his word has this character because as 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 states, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, which is his son, Christ Jesus. In the language of the church, we accept the ever-living and never-dying word of God as what we call divine revelation that is received through two mediums, one mode called sacred tradition. That is the entirety of God's word, the gospel handed down early from Christ to the apostles and entrusted to the care to their successors. The other mode is called sacred scripture. That is the writings of the apostles of Christ and other men who were associated with the apostles who were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who committed the message of salvation. In this way, sacred scripture is the true speech of God. When we listen to the sacred scriptures, the Catholic Church teaches that we ought to use three senses to discern what is being said. The first sense is the literal sense, which is where we must always begin. The literal sense is exactly that. What are the scriptures literally saying? After we hear the literal word, we can then dive into the spiritual sense of the text. And we might employ three other senses there to hear what the Holy Spirit is inspiring us to hear. Or what he had inspired. One is the allegorical sense. Then there's the moral teachings. And then there's the anagogical lessons. That is the teachings that guide us towards our true homeland. And there is what I call also the liturgical sense. For many centuries, the sacred tradition was all that the Catholic Church had until our collection of sacred scriptures were canonized in the year 382 by Pope Damascus at the Council of Rome. And that is the second medium of divine revelation. Although we speak of these two mediums or modes of um, trend, the transmission of God's revelation separately, we do not separate them because as paragraph 80 states, they both have the same common source, which is God. In the life of the church, the Holy Mass, is where we find the beauty of God's desire of revealing himself and man, man coming to meet God throughout the liturgy. We bear witness to this exchange by which man and God build relationship. Think about how the Holy Mass begins. It begins with a procession to the sanctuary, that is, a movement of man towards God. And then the priest begins the Mass in nomine pacis, filio, spiritu, sanctu. Therefore, in calling upon the name of God, the Mass begins 
in relationship. The mass is then divided into four movements. The first is man confessing his sorrow and need for God. Then in the second movement, we find God confessing his love for his people through the readings of the Old and New Testaments. And then the third movement, we find Christ Jesus, the full revelation of the Father coming to dwell with man, as we read about in the historical sense in the Gospels, but takes on new meaning through the communion rites when the real body and blood of Jesus comes to dwell in the body and blood of his people, when we take all of him into all of us. And then the fourth movement is like the Acts of the Apostles. Now that we have received him, we are called to go out and share him with the world. And in this way, the revelation of God remains ever-present and ever-living in the world. The Holy Mass is where it is all at. And you should never separate revelation from it. Because the liturgy really does communicate the fullness of divine revelation. Now, having talked about man's capacity for God and God's desire to fill that capacity with revelation of himself, in chapter 3 of the Catechism Catholic Church, we will talk about man's response to God.